Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our special guest has been with us before. It's Father Ed Broom of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. And if you remember a few months ago, we were talking about the five ways the devil works in our lives and tries to sidetrack us. Well, Father has come up with a A new article that can be found on CatholicExchange.com is called The Ten Bible Verses to Fight Discouragement. And, Father, thanks again for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, uh, Dick and Jeff. I'm really happy to be with you. It really is. It's a a pleasure to be with you. Well, we we had a lot of people listen last time. I expect the same this time. And, you know, you're, you're really talking about whether we were fighting, you know, how the devil works or to fight discouragement, uh, you know, the time in which we're living, there's a lot of turmoil, a lot of things going on. So is that kind of what's prompting you to figure out, hey, how can I help people kind of deal with the craziness? Yeah, I've been given the spiritual exercise of San Nasa for many years. And part of the program is to get to know the rules for discernment. And one of the rules it's actually the fourth rule, is uh, what desolation is. And St. Ignatius says desolation is when you, you feel you're kind of low with your faith, the hope is low, charity. You feel kind of sad, discouraged. You feel life is kind of a drag, and life is very difficult. And in that state, um, we're very vulnerable. And uh, it's, that's a state with the devil, uh, attacks us, and he, he'll often look for, I, I call it our kryptonite, our weak point. And uh, if we don't know what to do, we can easily fall into the trap of the enemy and do things that we would regret afterwards. So I thought um, it would be a good idea to, to write an article on how to conquer discouragement and using biblical passages. So I basically pulled out 10 of the passages that I like most, and uh, not that this is exhaustive, but I, I I think we all have our own favorite biblical passages, and I find these to be very, very encouraging for me, and probably for a lot of people also, that we we all go through desolation, but we have to know what to do. If we don't know what to do, desolation can, can really wreak havoc in our lives. So, yeah, yeah, it can be crippling, really. Yes, it can be crippling. It can actually paralyze us. So I've got these 10 verses. Um, if you like, we can go through some of them, and and hopefully uh, our listeners can maybe just click into a Catholic Exchange, and or they can go to Father Boom and pick up this uh, this article. It's a blog article, but also Catholic Exchange will we'll publish one of my articles once once a week over the past six or seven years. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think before we get into the uh, to the Bible verses, I really like how you started this article because. You used a really good analogy about how, you know, consolation and desolation can come and go in our lives, and you kind of equate it to the weather, right? One day you wake up, it's beautiful and sunny, the birds are singing, and the next day maybe it's rainy and cloudy and dreary, and you don't even feel like getting out of bed. Uh, it really did paint a really good picture of, of how consolation and desolation can work in our lives, didn't it? Yeah, I thought I would start off the article given that somewhat poetic, creative image that we all understand. And we all know, whether we live in Denver or, or California or New York or anywhere, sometimes you get up and it's just 
the sun is shining, a nice gentle breeze. You can hear the birds singing. But you just uh, you just uh, enjoy that, um, that that peaceful atmosphere. In other times, you get up and it's cold, it's dreary, it's drizzling, it's windy, and um, I use that as an image of our soul because our soul our soul goes through those various states. Also, our soul sometimes experiences the overflowing joy and this peace and this happiness. And other days. We feel kind of like a Charles Dickens novel. We feel kind of <laughs> in, in the fog there, in the drizzle, in the rain, and it's damp and it's wet. And yeah, that's. Uh, I thought that that might be a good introduction to kind of set the stage for what uh, desolation and consolation is by using some some type of poetic image that we understand from from nature. So, yeah, I, and then I, I quoted one of the famous English author, T.S. Eliot, that our, our state can sometimes be like a wasteland, but we want it uh, not to be a wasteland, but we want, we want it to be a garden where the, where the flowers are flourishing. So, uh, yeah. Well, I, again, I thought that was really good uh, way to start the article because it, it was such a vivid picture that you know exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, to read, you know, to have your 10 favorite Bible verses, whether they're these or you have your own, uh, reading Scripture on a regular basis is really important because in desolation, if you haven't been reading Scripture, it's going to be really hard to pick up sacred Scripture and start reading it, isn't it? Yes. Good point, Deacon, is we have to get in the habit of uh, reading and meditating upon the, the Word of God every day. But since since Vatican II, the Church has always encouraged us to read the Bible, but since Vatican II, especially with the De Verbum, in which um, they quote uh, St. Jerome, ignorance of sacred scriptures, ignorance of Christ, there's been a real strong movement to read the Word of God. And I set up a 10-week spiritual exercise program in which I, I tell the people, hey, you know, you got to you got to meditate upon the Word of God an hour a day for 10 weeks. And, and I give them the the motivation from, from Fulton Sheen, who said, he calls it the hour of power. So, um, yeah, the Word of God, it's, um, it's indispensable for us. That, that has to be our light. It has to be our rule of life. It has to be our, our inspiration. Well, and it is, I mean, it's so important to know we're not alone, that we're loved, that you know, no matter what happens, he's there to help us when we fall, to get back up. And, you know, with the first Bible verse, you talk about Psalm 23, but, you know, just the first couple words, you say prayerfully and calmly read. And that goes for any time you're reading Scripture, doesn't it? Right. You know, say, for example, you have that, that storm, that tempest, that darkness. You're going through that, that dark tunnel. Okay, what you should do is find some quiet place. Um, you know, the churches are opening now. Maybe you can even do, find some place in front of the Blessed Sacrament or even find the Blessed Sacrament online. We have a daily holy hour every, every night at 8.30. Or if not, just in the quiet of your room and very quiet, prayerfully, meditatively, read through the Psalm of the Good Shepherd where you just 
saying calmly and maybe repeating one of those phrases that seem to captivate you most. Uh, that that that's a really good way to to pull you out of the out of that state of desolation. How can we possibly be saying, "The Lord is my shepherd; there is nothing I shall want." Slowly and calmly, even though I walk through dark valleys, you're there with your rod and your staff. You anoint my head with oil; my cup overflows. How could we possibly be reading those verses and, and nothing happening? There's there's going to be there's going to be spiritual enlightenment and comfort and peace once we um, allow the Word of God just to permeate us. And that's, uh, I found that that's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful passage, Psalm 23. And it kind of does shut out the evil one, too, right? I mean, when you're focused on the Lord and you're meditating on His Word, the lies and all the things the evil one does to try to distract you, you kind of shut him out, don't you, when you're focused totally on Jesus Christ? Yeah, it's interesting you say that because... Um, the first Sunday of Lent, we always have the temptations of Christ. And the, um, the version from Matthew is the longer one. And the first temptation that Jesus has is to turn uh, stones into bread. And what Jesus says is, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. So the devil was attacking Jesus with the word of God, and Jesus retaliated by citing another biblical passage to, to defeat the enemy. So, yeah, we, sh- we should never never underestimate the, the power of the Word of God. Well, and the other thing I like about the 10 that you came up with, you have things from the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? we got to remember there, there are two books, the Old and the New, and the, and the Old prefigures the New, and there's wisdom throughout because it's all inspired, and you know, we can go looking anywhere in Scripture, and we will find inspiration. But there are certain verses that just speak to us, and these ten that you picked out are what speak to you, right, Father? Yes, that's a good point you make, because um, you probably remember when you were studying to be a deacon, the Bible had what is called biblical typology, mm-hmm. which would be of types in the Old Testament that become realities in the New Testament. For example, when Jesus gets up, and he preaches um, uh, John chapter 10, he actually takes that good shepherd psalm and he applies it to himself. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And I give my life for the sheep. So yeah, it's, it, it's true that we, we may prefer the New Testament because it seems to be easier to understand. In a certain sense, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says we should give prime place to the Gospels, but the Old Testament, that's the inspired Word of God also. Well, and I like, you know, the next two you have from Matthew 28, uh, Matthew, well, one for Matthew 28 and the other one from Matthew 11. But, behold, I am with you always until the end of the world. You're never alone. I mean, no matter how desolate yeah. we feel or alone, if, you know, our families abandon us, you know, we have our friends, we're struggling— we have the one who loves us most and always with us no matter what, don't we? Yes. Yeah, that, uh, that passage I've, I've loved for, for, for a long, long time. It actually is the, it's the last verse of the Gospel of Matthew because Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And he said, go out to all nations teaching them what I taught you. 
baptized in them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. And then Jesus ascends to heaven. So it's, it's the last words of Jesus Christ, almost his last testament. He's telling us to go out there and evangelize, baptize, and don't forget, I'm with you. Now, someone might say, well, that's kind of ironic. He says, I'm with you until the end of the world. Then he goes up to heaven. So where is, where is he? Ah, he's present <laughs> in his mystical body, the church, you know, because it seems to be somewhat ironic. He says, but then he goes through the clouds. Lord, you, you said you're going to be with us, and why are you leaving us? No, nope, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit upon you after Pentecost, and then the church is going to be born, and I'm going to be present with you, but in the mystical body, my Holy Spirit, who's the sweet guest of the soul, he's going to be with you all, always. So, yes, if we live in the state of grace, we've got the divine indwelling of the Blessed Trinity in every second in our lives. Well, and the gift of the Holy Spirit allows us to know who Christ really is, right? I mean, that's the the love between the Father and the Son. I mean, he sends us down the greatest gift we could have to make it through this world as we're visitors here until we're with him for the end of time. It's a good point, because during the public life of our Lord, the apostles understood our Lord, but not perfectly. Like, like for example, on the road to Caesarea Philippi, they, Jesus asked, Who am I? And Peter says, You're the Son of the living God. And shortly after that, Jesus says he's going to be crucified, and Peter reprimands him, says, Lord, that shouldn't happen to you. Then our Lord calls Peter Satan. So... During the public life, there were kind of shadows and lights. But once the Holy Spirit descends, these men are transformed. Now, Peter gets up and he preaches a homily and he converts 3,000 people in one homily. <laughs> At least they could convert two. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what's your record, Father? <laughs> well, it's not 3,000. No? If you get one or two, I'm happy. No? <laughs> well, all I know is if you're converting 3,000 at a talk, I need to have you live and not, and not recorded. I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the third one is also, you know, it really reminds us of, you know, that gift of the Holy Spirit because perfect love casts out all fear. And in Matthew 11, we're told, do not be afraid, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and he says that many times, even when um, you probably remember the passage when Jesus sends the apostles into the boat, and he's praying on the shore, and he's walking on the on the water. They cry, a ghost, a ghost. And, then, <laughs> and he says, get a hold of yourself at his eye. And then Peter walks, and he starts to sink, and he says, Lord, save me. Oh, man, a little faith. Why do you, why do you doubt? No? So, um, but I think we all have our own ghosts. We have, a, we have our, our own fears, and that's why we have to cultivate, a, I think, a deeper prayer life in which we want to trust the Lord. Nothing happens in this world without the Lord knowing. He knows how many hairs we have on our head. He knows that when a hair falls to the ground, he knows where it, where it falls. Nothing happens by chance, you know? You want to get me angry, tell the people, say, good luck, Father. I don't, I don't believe in luck. I believe in divine providence. <laughs> <laughs> or, or they're saying, Father, I don't have a hair on my head. What does that mean for me? <laughs> well... <laughs> That yeah, and we and and we and we move on. <laughs> well, I mean, it's right, and and look, the evil one wants to make us afraid, right? I think we talked about that the last time. He he wants to instill as much fear as possible because 
then we're focused on us. It's when we fall in love with Christ and totally embrace him that the fear dissipates. Yes. Yes. Uh, but I think that that um, necessitates that we have to form a habit of prayer. And uh, hopefully your listeners, you probably have a real lot of good people that are listening on your radio program. But sometimes we fail to have a prayer, a prayer time, a prayer habit. And I would really encourage all of your your listeners to have a set time in which you 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 talk to the Lord. No, I make my holy hour early in the morning because uh, I feel that that. That sets the day. I do do it usually from about 5.40 to about 7 o'clock, and man, I feel like I'm a gangbuster after that. Well, and it, you know, look, I and I think what you're talking about here is when you're pulling out, you know, just these 10 pieces of Scripture, uh, there's obviously, you know, there's an immense thing uh, list that we can choose from, but that's prayer in of itself, right? If we sit down and start reading Scripture— and meditating on it, we're allowing the Lord to talk to us. And it's not us just gimme, gimme, gimme. It's us saying, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? Yes. And even um, even uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is divided into four four parts, the, the creed, sacraments, and the commandments. And the last part is the part on prayer. And I like, uh, there are several definitions, but the definition of St. John Damascene, who is an Eastern Father of the Church defines prayer as the lifting up of the mind and the heart to God. So when you're reading the Bible and you're lifting up your mind to God, hey, you're already praying. Right. And when your mind is lifted up, very often the heart follows. Well, and I think what's so good about what you're doing is it to to read Scripture has to put us in a mindset of, I want to hear what the Lord is saying to me. Sometimes we get so hung up in prayer that it's us asking, asking, asking. And it is a dialogue, not a monologue, but you know we do need to spend more time listening. And this almost forces us to listen a little bit because we're trying to figure out what the Lord is saying to us. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes. Uh, and that's, um, you know, Pope XVI, when he came uh, to visit, um, in the United States, probably about 12 years ago, he, he visited New York and he visited Dunwoody, the Dunwoody Seminary. And one of the things he said, it's difficult for young people to listen to the Word of God today because we're bombarded by so much noise, you know, so much noise pollution. Therefore, we have to pull we have to pull apart and find that quiet time. And Jesus spent thirty years in silence, no? And then he goes off he goes off to his public life. He spends forty days in the desert where there's silence. Even even, you know, after Paul uh, Saul of Tarsus fell off his horse, he spent years in the Arabian desert listening to the word of God. So um I think we've got the danger in the United States of activism, and who knows, maybe God has allowed this coronavirus pandemic to, to help us to become more more merry and less Martha, and to try to overcome the tendency of activism, which is characteristic of the modern American life. Well, and I think, you know, when we're reading Scripture, and I think you just made a really good point, uh, when those challenges or hurdles come upon us, 
if we're rooted in Christ, we do see those as opportunities to draw closer to Him and 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 allow Him to speak to us, as opposed to "Why me? This is terrible. You know, my life is terrible." You know, instead of focused on self, you're focused on Christ, and you're saying, "All right, Lord, what are you trying to say to me?" So you're open to that communication. Yes, yes. Um, Saint Augustine has uh, has coined a very good proverb or maxim. He says. God allows evil to bring good out of evil. And in the Sunday Masses, we're starting to read um, Romans chapter 5, where um, St. Paul says, where, where sin abounds, the grace of God abounds all the more. And, and the, the classical interpretation, how could it be that God allows evil to bring good out of it? The classical example is original sin of Adam and Eve. That was, they call it, a moral tsunami that has repercussions until the end of the world. But as a result of the original sin of Adam and Eve, we have the incarnation of Jesus, the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, and we've got the Paschal Mystery, which is the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if Adam and Eve were not to have committed original sin, we would not have the incarnation and the Paschal Mystery culminating in the redemption. So I think I think our 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 friends um that are listening to us have to recognize that these these evil things are happening, but God is behind it allowing this what seems to be a physical evil so that he can bring greater moral and spiritual good from it. You're yeah, I mean and those are things we need to remember. Uh, you know, the greatest evil brought about the greatest good. So every every yeah. evil we see now is a lesser evil, but can bring around still a good. And we need to look for that good as opposed to uh, being afraid and, and you know, kind of being the Eeyore of life. You know, everything everything's bad and you always find the worst out of things. Yeah. I'm going to hop around a little bit because you mentioned Romans. You You also mentioned in Romans 8, if God is with us, who can be against us? Yes, that's a, that's a passage that's um, just ten short words, and there's a lot of power in that. And uh, my comment on that would be, it, yeah, if we are living in the state of grace, in other words, we have sanctifying grace, mm-hmm. and within our souls we have, this is the Carmelite spirituality, the inhabitation or the indwelling of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if we've got we've got God living within us. Why fear? We've got God within us. You know, even even if yesterday we celebrate St. Thomas More, even if uh, we have to die, even if we have to die, say for example, the death of a martyr, uh, the church says the death of the saint is his birth into heaven. So even if we have to suffer death at the hands of our enemies, as a result of that, we go to heaven to be with the Lord for all eternity. So um, it's true that if God is with us, who can be against us? Romans eight thirty one. Well, and the martyrs would have focused on exactly what we talked about when we mentioned do not be afraid, right? You can't be a martyr and, and, and do what you do for Christ if you don't have a great love and devotion and just will do anything for him, right? Yes. You know, a good, a good movie came out about two years ago. 
and it was uh, on St. Paul. Probably some of your listeners have seen it. And Jim Caviezel is acting as St. Luke. Yep, I've seen that so great really, movie. Yeah. Oh, you know, my, one of my favorite scenes was when the, the Romans are starting to really persecute the Christians and they're burning torches and and the Christians are going to die. You can see in the catacombs with Brazil and Ocula. And St. Luke goes in and he gives a little homily. And the essence of his homily was, he said, look, you're followers of Christ. You're going to have to suffer. And the suffering is going to be intense, but it's short. And then he says, then you're going to be with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in heaven for all eternity. So knowing that heaven awaits us, knowing that heaven exists and heaven awaits us should give us a motivation to carry a cross patiently because hey, life is short, eternity is forever. And Jesus says, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? If we can patiently carry our cross, if we fall to get up, and entrust yourself to God, then our reward is eternal life. So I don't, I don't think that we meditate enough about about heaven. We really meditate about what heaven is and how short life is. I think we will be able to carry our crosses with greater patience. Well, especially to know that we're visitors here, and heaven is our final homeland, and that's where we're trying to get to. And I can't believe every time I talk to you, Father, the time goes faster and faster. We're down to about a minute and a half. But you were mentioning crosses. Desolation is a cross, right? Yes, but uh, we can't really avoid it. I, right. The best, exa- the best example, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had this profound desolation. But what did he do? He prayed all the more fervently. Jesus is our model. When we are in desolation, we should never give up prayer. We should actually double our prayer when we find ourselves in desolation. So just, you know, we're down to less than a minute. And so how can people follow again what you're doing, Father? Because you come up with these little pearls of wisdom and these great articles that people really need to be looking for uh, on a regular basis because it really does help during struggling times. Well, I could say they could maybe just go into Catholic Exchange or you can go into fatherbroom.com, my website, and they can maybe download these and maybe have these and, and read through these biblical passages. We only got through about four or five of them. There's another another six. I'm trying to get them to read your article, Father. I didn't want to give them everything. Oh, good. <laughs> That's good. You know, what, what's their appetite? That's right. <laughs>